Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today is Wednesday, August 28th, and we are reading in the Big Book Alcoholics Anonymous, the chapter How It Works on page 69, the paragraph that says we reviewed our conduct, the first full paragraph. Today's readers are Laura, Sharon, Fran, and Michelle. The reference number for yesterday, August 27th, is 5018. That is 5018. OA Preamble. Over Years Anonymous, the fellowship of individuals who should experience strength and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Rose to read the 12 steps, please. Thank you, Amy. This is Rose, Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. The 12 Steps. 1. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. 2. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. 3. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs pass. Thank you, Rose. I will now call on Margaret to read the 12 traditions, please. 
Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Vision, for you. This is Margaret, recovered in South Jersey. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God is who may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, thus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, O-Readers Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, O-Readers Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you, Anna. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter How It Works on page 69 with the paragraph that starts, We Reviewed Our Conduct. And I will ask Laura to start us off, please. Thanks, Amy. Good morning, everyone. This is Laura from South Jersey, Recovered Compulsive Eater. We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. Wow, this is a, this is a really important paragraph um, here in, in this fourth step that we're working on because... Um, we're talking about our sex conduct here. And um, I remember when I was working on my fourth step, this was very, very humbling for me, very embarrassing, very, um, I was a little afraid to get all of this down. I thought, well, what would people think of me? And, and, you know, it's very difficult in this fourth step 
at times to only focus on myself. And this is what it's asking me to do. Where had I been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? It doesn't matter what the other person did. I need to disregard, it's telling me, you need to disregard the other person completely in this process. List it all, look only at my part of it. Um, you know, this process for me is a way to let go of the old self. It's, it's let go of the old person I used to be in my addiction and become a new person with God as my director instead of self and self-reliance as, as my director. And um, it's an ego-deflating process. And, you know, I, I've recently heard that ego is a way of dividing. And when I'm in ego, when I'm in self, I'm divided from everyone around me where spirituality is a way of joining. It's a way of becoming together. It's a way of uh, getting closer to higher power, getting closer to those people around me that, that I love. And so this process, to get it all down on paper, it's not telling me just to think about it. I've got to get this down on paper into that fourth column and to say, what's my part in this? It, it doesn't matter what X, Y, and Z did to me. What is my part and, um, and where am I willing to change? Because I always used to want others to change. I, I thought, you know, if only this person did this, if only this person did that. But this is all about wanting me to change and letting go of my selfishness within my personal physical relationships. Um, I'm reminded never to give opinions, only my experiences when I'm, when I'm helping somebody through this process. And, and um, yeah, it's really powerful. It's very important, I think, and um, grateful to be here today reading this. Thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Laura. Would anyone else like to share on what was read in this paragraph? This is Katie from Boston. Katie, go ahead, please. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie, recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. She said, um, love this part of the book, right, because these are more instructions. I'm really good at instructions. I like tangible. I like black and white. I even uh, I only write with black pen and uh, and white paper today because of the uh, the book's instructions. But with regard to sex conduct, so what did I do? I made a list. Okay, my sponsors said make a list similar to my resentment list. Make a list of people with whom I had had intimate relations, or as had been mentioned yesterday, that there were like sexual undertones, or even to be honest, like I put my father on that list, not because I had inappropriate relations, but because he was a member of the opposite sex, and I had I didn't know how to treat him. I didn't know how to be a daughter to him. I didn't know how to be um, a good bro- a good sister to my brother. Um, and so these people I put on my list, and I reviewed my conduct thoroughly. All right, guys, so what is my manifestation of self? Because, again, like, the, we are talking about sex, but really we're just talking about the manifestations of self. So what, where am I, as Bill talks about in his story, we are, I am naturally unmindful of other people. So I am naturally inconsiderate, thoughtlessly causing hurt or inconsideration. So I looked at my list. So my sponsor had me look at my list with each of my um, the people and where had I, I had been selfish. So what had I wanted from them without regard to their wants, needs, or capabilities? I wanted them to put me first. I wanted them to tell me I was amazing. I wanted them to fill me up. I wanted them to have no other priorities but me. I wanted them to, um, to basically, like, I wanted them to be my hostage, right, until I was done with them. And then when I was done with them, well, I... Um, how would I have been inconsiderate? Well, I was in a relationship with a man who was still, by all intents and purposes, legally married. He had three kids, and um, 
you know, I had been, I had not been mindful of how my behavior could have affected them, completely thoughtlessly causing hurt or inconsideration to them, putting my need for a relationship, my need for a human power to make me feel better, to make me feel whole, um, in front of these kids. You know, I naturally, I was naturally unmindful of them, and 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 you know, had hurt them, and then. It unjustly arise uh, jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness. Oh yeah, like my I I thought that that was the way to get people's attention is by making them jealous. By okay, if they're not paying attention to me, okay, well maybe I'll try and flirt with someone else in front of them so that I can get their attention. And where were we at fault? What should I have done instead? I should have told them no. I should have said, you know what, I'm really not that interested. I should have said, gee, that's, uh, you know, uh, that's, not part of my, that's not part of my behavior. But how many people did I, you know, have inappropriate relations with because I didn't feel good about myself, because I wanted to feel better? You know, I should have said no. I should have walked away. I shouldn't have lied. How many, um, I, I know for me, and this is just my experience, you know, I, I had a lot of confusing relationships with people. I had a lot of affairs with people. This was a, a hard part as, a, as, a, as an abstinent woman to remember who was I. Like, a, who was I with? I don't really remember. And what does this mean? Does it mean that there's some judgment about me and my moral convictions and whatnot? No. Like, as someone said yesterday, this is so that moving forward, I can behave as a woman of honor, dignity, and grace. So I look at the facts in black and white. How had my how had my selfishness? How did it manifest in my sex conduct? And how do I keep it from manifesting moving forward? You know, and and how can I include God in this most important? Like I loved hearing women like giggle about sex before before the meeting because this is a hard one to include God in. Like, but you know what, guys? He even he cares so much about me. He cares about my sex conduct. And how am I behaving as a as a daughter, as a as a sister? You know, am I treating men as my equal, not as people that that I can use to make me feel better? You know, so if you're if you're checking this out, we are on page 69. We're looking at manifestations of self and how our disease of compulsive overeating manifests itself in our lives beyond just the food. And um, today, I do live as a woman of honored dignity and grace. I do have a sex ideal. I check it out with myself and other recovered women, and I stick by it. And uh, for that, I am truly grateful. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to share on what was read in this paragraph? This is Paula Melichia. Yes, Paula. Go ahead. Uh, Thank you. You know, I'm going to screw on right down to that last line. We got this all down on paper and looked at it. Well, any good lawyer will tell you, whatever you do, don't put it on paper. Why is that? Why is that? But see, then you're held accountable. Then you're responsible. You've got it in the written word now, and you look at it. And there, the difference. Accepting responsibility for who I was to become who I am. We got this all. I didn't miss a thing. Oh, the thought was the other. You know, as soon as I said, oh, well, I can let this out, then you get it down. You get it down, girl. All down on paper. And finally, finally looked at it. 
didn't look away, always looked away. No shame here. And then the line before, what does it say? Let me take a liberty here. Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? I knew. I knew what I should have done, but I didn't. But then it says, where were we at fault? That's what I had to look at. That's the part I had to look at, to know and do better. My sponsor always says, well, you know better, you do better. Okay? Now you know better. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Who else would like to share on what was read? Rose. Go ahead, Rose. Thank you, Amy. This is Rose, a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader in New York. Um, this this paragraph, this was the part of the fourth step for myself um, that um, I was very reluctant to um, to do, just putting it plainly. I really didn't want to look at this because I had a very active past and thought that once I would put it on paper, it was going to be um, it, it was going to be too horrible to face up to. And my experience with doing this, um, as Paula just mentioned, became accountable for when I answered these nine questions um, about my revealing my conduct. Um, where had I been selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate? Whom did I hurt? Did I unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where was I at fault? And the ninth question, what should I have done instead? This was a ticket to freedom that I had no clue was going to happen to me. And um, again, with the instructions from my sponsor, with these specific questions to answer in specific relationships that I had, it was so freeing for me that um, the level of gratitude when I did complete my fifth step, especially this part of it, was so huge because I I became like uh, neutralized. Well, I definitely became free from this past of like ghosts and and being haunted by how horrible I was. It was extensive, my behavior, uh, but the next paragraph is going to really reveal where my own freedom came from in that once it was confessed, once it was told, um, God was right there in the picture to hear it and then going on to the sixth and seventh to remove it. So it w- this paragraph was my ticket to freedom, and I greatly encourage anybody who's reluctant about it to know that there is a, there's another life on the other side of it. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Michelle. And Michelle Sally from South Jersey. I heard someone before Sally and then Leah. Who was that before Sally? The Michelle in Missouri. Okay. Yes. All right. Michelle, Sally, and then Leah. Good morning, everyone. This is Michelle, Missouri, recovered compulsive overeater. And I wanted to share on this um, paragraph as well, because when I um, showed up at the sex conduct inventory, 
um, you know, I, I still had some denial here. I um, I wanted to tell my sponsor, look, you know, I've been in a monogamous relationship and didn't date in high school, and so, you know, I didn't see any big things going on here that I needed to, to look at, but um, I really, really saw I was in denial when I looked at this closer because, you know, my behavior was that I had used sex either as a weapon um, or as a power play. You know, it was a way that I, I would manipulate in my relationship. And I wasn't squeaky clean like I thought I was. And it was very, very helpful um, to look at this behavior, to see how I was um, how I was how I was behaving, how I was in relationships, because this was my behavior that I transferred not so much in a sexual way, but in other ways, in other relationships. This was where I was having problems being in a partnership with any relationship. I either wanted to be, um, you know, top dog, or you know, I was less than. I wasn't equal to. And sex was a way that I used in my relationship, my primary relationship, with you know a person that. You know, I was closest to in my in my life that um, I was dishonest. I wasn't honest about um, <clears throat> how I felt about sex. I was inconsiderate. I was only thinking of my needs in the relationship when it came to intimacy and selfishness. I was looking. Um, I, I was flirtatious. I was using sex with people outside the marriage in a flirtatious way, in an emotional way, to build me up and build up my self-esteem. So I wasn't so squeaky clean that I thought I was. And it was a good a good exercise for me, a good inventory to do to look at my behavior and look how I wasn't being honest and how I was being inconsiderate. And I was using, you know, my womanly wiles as I like to say, um, to try to build up my social, you know, my um social interactions, um, my self esteem, my emotional security and my own relationship. And it was very revealing and very helpful and a way to see how I was blocking God because these are the kinds of things that block me from God, and I need God. I need a higher power in my life. And um, by starting this inventory and completing it with the sex conduct, looking at all those things, you know, I was preparing to um, see the things that were blocking me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Sally, you're up. Thanks, Amy. Sally recovered in South Jersey. Uh, we reviewed our own conduct over the p- years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? When I read that, I have to say I'm surprised they don't have whom had we used because that was, for me, the operative word. Who had I used? Because I used people, and I used my sex conduct was the tool of my using people. Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? I certainly did. I I wanted attention, and I wanted it from my husband, and I wanted it from other guys. And um, th- this is all in here. What really strikes me about this this inventory, though, for me, my inventory, I was a good girl. I was really a good girl. I you know I I was I developed a relationship with God at a very young age, and I was thinking in my head, I'm such a good girl. But the the honesty that was required for me to do this and to put down on paper was what was going on between my ears. Most of it, almost all of it, was what was going on between my ears. Nobody had to know because it was just between me and God, and it was what was separating me from God. 
And so when I had to finally take an Oh, Sally, I think we lost you. Press star one to unmute, please. I'm back. Yay. So when I finally, when I finally decided that I was going to do an honest inventory, not just of what I did physically, but what I thought about, who I, who I used in my thinking, who I, this, this whole section aroused jealousy, suspicion, and bitterness. This is all what goes on between our ears and how we use this tool, our sex life. Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? Well, honesty is a really good place to start. And we got this all down on paper and we looked at it. Nobody else needed to look at it but us. And that was enough to look at what I had been thinking and doing all this time and how it was separating me from God. It's an amazing thing that in this day and age, when they wrote this in 1939, when this book was published, that they would dare to put this as such a key part of step four, writing down your sex inventory. People didn't talk about this subject. Talk about it with somebody else? Wow. It's hard to do it in the year 213. Imagine doing it in the year 1939. That must have taken some really rigorous honesty on their part. And it still takes the same rigorous honesty today to take a good look, shine the flashlight on your motives. That's what we're looking at. What are the motives behind all of our actions and, most important, all of our thinking? It's all about our thinking. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sally. Leah, go ahead, please. Thank you so much, Amy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So um, much like resentment and fear, now we're asked to review our own conduct over the years past in regards to sex conduct. So it's the same set of instructions that I used for the resentments and the fear. It's asking me, we reviewed our own conduct over the years past. And again, it's possible to hurt many different people in many different ways through sex relations. It's not just asking to list the people you were or are sexually involved with because there's other ways to hurt people in this arena. Uh, It's not just people you've had sex with. There's, uh, you know, flirtatious behavior. There's inappropriate behavior. There's, um, you know, utilizing the sexual arena to create jealousy in other people. So there's there's different ways that we can hurt people, um, you know, when we review our history. And, uh, you know, it says, we reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? I know, and again, you can hurt someone by having sex, but you can also hurt people simply by being too demanding. You know, uh, maybe a partner isn't too keen, and rather than consider their needs and wants, we selfishly demand that they do those things when they don't want to. I've been having the privilege of listening to uh, fifth steps, you know, fourth step inventories for over two decades. So, you know, I hear all kinds of flavors out there, you know, uh, people 
you know, can be demanding of a partner and, and demand that they do things when they really don't want to and it creates a problem for them, um, if, if not physically, then emotionally in the relationship, or, you know, perhaps withholding. We hurt people by withholding. Maybe we're not too keen about uh, engaging sexually with a partner every time that they want to. And so sometimes rather than considering their needs and their wants and their desires, we selfishly withhold when perhaps we should give in more often. You know, perhaps we're withholding in order to punish. Perhaps we're coming off uh, cold and disinterested. Um, to a partner, a spouse, etc. So all these kinds of things go down on the paper. Whom had we hurt? I mean, I know when I reviewed this kind of stuff, you know, I had food stains all over my relationships. The reality was that I really didn't have any defining principles to live by. And ultimately, um, you know, my life was a mess because I was governed by emotions, not governed by these principles, these I, these uh, sane and, and sound ideals that the program of recovery can help each and every one of us create. Uh, again, it asked me, it asked us, where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? You know, sex, the sex instinct is not the cause of our sexual problems, of the sexual mess on, on a piece of four-step inventory paper. The causes are selfishness, dishonesty, fear, and inconsiderateness. When those character defects direct my actions in pursuit of other things, in pursuit of self-esteem, in pursuit of pride, in pursuit of personal relationships, in pursuit of emotional security or fulfillment of any ambitions that I had, I ended up causing pain and difficulty for other people and for myself. So, you know, our sexuality is not the issue, the the this process, again, step four is the first action step. This process is, allows us to see um, that the sexuality and this whole area um, is not the source of our problems. What the source of our problems was misdirected instinct. We, we utilize the sex um, relations in order to get our needs met those other instincts met. And again, it's just peeling layers so that we can get down to root causes and conditions. And that's what the fourth step is all about. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Uh, we're going to move on to the next paragraph. Sharon, could you please read? Good morning. This is Sharon, recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Amy. I am Grateful to be on the line and grateful uh, that all of you are here. In this way, we try to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We ask God to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. We rec- recommended all we remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. This is this is a beautiful paragraph, I will say. There is a word that I want to 
just give a brief definition, although it's familiar to to us all, ideal, and that means um, that uh, a conception of something in its absolute perfection, a standard or model of perfection or excellence, that's what the word ideal means. So what we are being told is that from the questions of the previous paragraph, these are serious questions that we write, we've committed them to paper, we have looked at our conduct, and then we ask some quite we've asked some questions where if we've been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate. We look at that and we've we've asked whom had whom have we hurt? So we're we we're gaining an understanding of how we view sex and relationships and intimacy and from those the answers to those questions we are going to participate with our higher power in shaping a sound a sound which means something that can stand the test of time, something that is reasonable. It, it, it is balanced, a sound ideal for our future sex life. So here in this paragraph, Bill is talking about how we're going to shape our future. We're, we're coming out of darkness. We're coming out of infantile understanding about sex, just a lack of clarity. Uh, you know, for me, it was never talked about in my family. It was always shrouded in darkness and lack of clarity. And then there was the religious component that, uh, and then there was the natural feelings that I had that were in conflict with, you know, what do I do with these? I just didn't know. And and so it was kind of something that uh, was suppressed and not clear, vague. And and now Bill is saying. You you have to, in order to live in this new life that God is giving you, you have got to deal with your sex life, with your feel, those feelings, so that you're not out there stepping on people's feet, and that you're not no longer living in this this shadowy world. You're coming into the sunlight, into the light of the spirit. And in order to stay there and remain there, you cannot have these hidden, uh, shameful, oftentimes unclear uh, feelings and, and reactions to people uh, that you're not aware of. And so in order to deal with that, I have had to be very honest about my feelings. Of course, I had to go through the inventory, and in all honesty, I by the time I got here, I was a little better off than when I started my fourth step where I couldn't see any resentments. At least by the time I got here, I knew that there was something to what Bill was asking us to do, to what the big book was asking us to do. And that, and so I was willing to to just face it. And I had a great sponsor that helped me to who was 
just real matter of fact and let's just get this done, just do it, let's talk about it. And so, but I was able at this point to accept that I had some distorted thinking and that it was okay. I'm, I'm okay with this. I, it, it's not going to kill me to look at this. And, and so to, to then with my higher power, honestly, in the sunlight of the spirit, what are my ideals? It, it's perfect. I may not live up to them all of the time, but how do I feel about this? It's personal. It's not what you feel. It's not what your religion or my religion. It's very personal between my higher power and me. How do I feel about this? And this was, I have to tell you, it was really a very powerful and freeing uh, experience, activity for me to go through this step. I, I just want to point out, though, and it's interesting to me that Bill, in the second sentence of this paragraph, it seems like he takes us back again. I'm looking at my ideals, and then he goes back. Subject each relationship to this test. Was it selfish or not? And it's whatever my ideal is, it needs to stand the test of is it selfish or not? Is it selfish or not? Because I can have an ideal of what I want it to be, but it needs to be. I can no longer put myself in a position where I'm hurting or being harmful or using people for my own gratification. So whatever my ideal is, I need to bring that into the light. I need to have one. I had to have one. I have to have an ideal of what I see my sex relationships and my sex conduct. How do I want to be in life in, as a sexual person and accepting that about myself? But it cannot be. I cannot, as a recovered person, wanting to stay recovered and live in recovery and accepting this 12 way of 12 step way of life nothing i do going forward can be selfish and self-centered in any way and with that i pass thank you sharon would anyone else like to share on what was read in this paragraph please this is katie Mo- from boston monica go ahead katie and then monica Hi, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be quick. This is Katie, recovered compulsive overeater from from Boston, Mass. I just, um, I'll never forget. I was in a big book self study meeting, and I was like, I I read this, and I was like, oh, so it's like my profile for for online dating, right? Like this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. I am so unmindful of other people that I was like, here's where I get to write what I want in a spouse, right? Like, because that's, that's, what, that's what the whole purpose is, right? So I can get what I want. Isn't that why I'm here? Um, and if you can't hear the, the joke in my voice, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely joking. And so when people started talking, I was like, oh, wait, this is about my behavior? And what was amazing was that after doing this work, you know, it was so much about looking at, um, in particular, you know, people of the opposite sex, you know, my dad, my brother, um, other men, and, and seeing, like, 
you know, my sex powers, they're not, they're not to be ashamed. They're nothing to be ashamed of. They're not to be used lightly. So, like, am I showing a little skin or am I trying to flirt with someone so that I can get them to do something for me? You know, but they're not also to be despised. And that my sponsor said, this is between me and God. And, you know, in each sex, each sex relation, you know, am I being selfish? Am I putting my need for comfort, for security ahead of this person's well-being? And the most amazing thing is today, I have been given, and I, I am in a different um, area. I'm not yet in a committed relationship. I have been, but um, I have just, I feel like God shows up for me all the time. You know, like I um, have been dating and I, I went out with someone and they kept wanting to talk about like this issue of physical intimacy. And me, I was able to say, this is my boundary, like it or leave it. And that, I don't know if that sounds like totally mind-blowing to anybody else, but that was totally mind-blowing for this recovered compulsive overeater because like I, to set a boundary and to walk away from someone, to say no, to like to say, like, I am as God created me. Like, this is not how God wants me to use my sex powers. That is so amazing. That is sound. That is free from injury and disease. That is holding up to a sane or healthy sex ideal for me. You know, and this was about, like, how can I be of service in the world and how can I um, treat others with with honor, dignity, and respect and, and including myself. And so, I mean, I just... I love this. I think it is so important, and, and um, I think I said this yesterday, like, it tells us if we are not sorry about our sex conduct, it is likely that we will eat again, you know, and I take that very seriously. So whenever I am in, in relations with other people, you know, I use that, the above paragraph, um, we reviewed our conduct as a way to see, okay, like, how am I doing right now? How's my selfishness? Am I trying to use this person? Am I, you know, the other day somebody was not communicating with me the way I wanted him to. I wanted him to read my mind. And you know what was amazing? When I asked him to call me, guess what he did? He called me. Isn't that amazing that people actually can, like, respond to your request and, and that the world is actually not out to get you? Unbelievable. So if you're new and you're just coming around, this is amazing work. Um, and uh, with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Katie. Monica, go ahead. Good morning, Amy. Thank you, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And so here we are talking about the, the subject of sex here. And we've we've written down in the paragraph before, we've gone, we've made a new list, and we've gone through and we've answered all these questions on every person on our list. And now in this paragraph, it says, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. And I, too, uh, was going to uh, give a definition of ideal, and Sharon did very well there. She goal, aim, model, a vision of goodness. I kind of like that. A vision of goodness for my future sex life. And we asked God to mold our ideas and help us to live up to them. And this was the last part of my four-step writing that I had to do was write out my sex ideal. And... It was, you know, it's, it was for me to look at, and God had shown me here in doing all this writing, you know, he'd opened, given me some new glasses here on how I had been acting, how I had been using my sexual um, part of me that God gave me that is good in my relationships over the years. And now, 
you know, there was things that, you know, looking back, I wasn't too proud of. And there was things that it was, no, it was all about me and what were my motives. So now in this ideal, I'm going to write down what is my ideal, what is my vision of goodness for my future behavior in relationships or interactions with others. You know, this is more about how I'm going to be or act in my relationships than, than who I'm going to be in a relationship with. So I took this as meaning, you know, this involves everybody I meet, male or female. What is my ideal? What are my motives? What, how do I, what kind of a person do I want to be here in the future as a result of doing this four-step inventory and God giving me new glasses and seeing how I had been selfish and dishonest and inconsiderate? And so I wrote down a few paragraphs of how I would like to behave, how I want to be to help me remember that I do have a choice. I can do things differently. You know, and that's what this whole process is about, is change, change. Changing our attitudes, our thinking. As a result of doing all this writing, God opens up our eyes and we can see this, you know. I have a choice. I don't have to be the same um, selfish Monica in my relationships. And, you know, in one of the questions, it was, you know, what would you do differently? What should you have done differently? And I have to laugh on a lot of those things. I had, I I wrote, you know, I should have stayed home that night and never gone out. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland, and I'd like to jump in. You know, as as others have said, this is this is such a wonderful paragraph because. You know, in this prior paragraph with all these questions, we've had to deal with some, you know, really looking at ourselves and, you know, our conduct. And it can be a tough thing to do when we're actually, if we're honest and thorough, taking a look at it. But the purpose of step four is to not bludgeon ourselves over the head about past deeds and circumstances. My sponsor always tried to keep me focused on the behavior as opposed to the specific circumstance of the past. You know, those circumstances I would deal with if I needed to on steps eight and nine. But she guided me to focus on behaviors. And here we go to this next paragraph, and it goes and says, you know, what about, okay, you've looked at this, and now let's move right on to what we can do to change. What can we do differently? What would be the new ideal, you know? And let's focus and move on. This is not to beat yourself up about the past. We look at it as fearlessly as we can, and then we use it to then change for the future. We are looking towards the future ideal of what God would have us be, and we're trusting the process, and we're trying to do the best we can. And I can't can't, uh, say how important it is that this is why we do this with a recovered sponsor who can um, give us balance when it comes to this. I mean, as others have said, emotionally, I was all over the map. And I was either a victim, you know, to the T, or it was all my fault. And when I reviewed through these questions and took a look at what I wanted my ideal to be in the future, I needed guidance. Because I can tell you, in answering some of those questions, what I thought was my fault, sometimes wasn't my fault and what I thought wasn't my fault with some of my sexual circumstances I was at fault 
So my wires were all crossed, and I needed someone who was recovered to guide me through and then bounce these ideals off of what really were my ideals. What did I think God was asking me to do and how to act in the future? How was I going to do that? And I needed someone to guide me through that process, you know, and trusting and relying on my higher power the whole time. You know, using step three, they say the acronym for trust, you know, in step three is try using step three. I love that. Trust. Try using step three. So I relied on God and I relied on a higher power to help me get through these questions without bludgeoning myself to death, but also looking realistically at what needed to change. What needed to change? Because why are we doing this? Under the lash of my compulsive overeating, I was dying of this disease, so I was willing to take a look at those things so that I could have this spiritual experience, so that I could have this spiritual transformation, and so that I could have a personality change sufficient to bring about the recovery so the food would no longer call to me. So I was willing to do this. And and what are the fruits of this, of this process? I mean, already we read in prior paragraphs that we commenced to outgrow fear. And I can tell you personally that I started to commence to outgrow fear. And then we came to the sexual conduct. And I thought, oh, my gosh, how, you know, how am I going to get through this? And yet I saw results. It says here on step four, if you go to the AA 12 and 12, it says once we have once we have complete willingness to take inventory and exert ourselves to do the job thoroughly, a wonderful light falls upon this foggy scene. As we persist, a brand new kind of confidence is born, and the sense of relief at finally facing ourselves is indescribable. These are the first fruits of step four. And I can tell you, after having done that sex content, as those questions and taking a look at that, as hard as that was, it was incredibly freeing. It was incredibly freeing, and I felt those first fruits. I felt the change starting to happen. It was incredible. It was amazing, and it was well worth it. I was fearless to the best of my ability and thorough to the best of my ability on the sex conduct, and I thought I would never be able to do it. But with a recovered sponsor, with you all, with my higher power, I was able to do it, and I was able to get those promises in my life as well. And certainly if I can do it, you can do it too. Anyways, enough out of me. Is there anyone else that would like to share on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. This is Lois. Go ahead, Lois. This is Katie in Virginia. Lois and then Katie. uh, Good morning, everyone. Um, This is Lois, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. And uh, so much has been said and so much has been shared. I just wanted to add, uh, claim my seat and and say to you know the newcomer or somebody who's just hearing this for the first time or, or starting to do this work that for me you know I didn't do this properly at first I was still very my mind was very distorted and um and my perceptions were very scrambled I didn't know how to have any kind of a relationship and I heard this and I read it and I tried it but it, I wasn't ready to, um, I, I wasn't able, let's put it that way, I, to, I was ready, but I, I, I wasn't able to um, perceive, you know, the, 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 um, the, 
the promises that came from doing this work when I was ready to do this work. So I really just wanted to say to the newcomer that, <clears throat> you know, this, this is a process. This is the fourth step we're, we're at. And the whole one through 12 is a process. And, and if you're just willing to show up, to keep trying and, and to listen to your recovered compulsive overeater sponsor, you know, to guide you, you know, you too will be able to do these, to do the, to take these steps and to have the outcome that you will have. And, um, I just lost my train of thought. Um, hang on a minute. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I just totally drew a blank. I'm going to pass. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. If, if I remember it, I'll back in. Exactly. <laughs> Come on right back. Go ahead, Katie. Go ahead, Katie. Am I unmuted? Yes, you are. Go ahead. Dive in. Okay. Okay. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And I just wanted to focus on this one sentence. Um, We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we not, that we do not bring about still more harm in so doing. And, you know, this... They're just really uh, emphasizing the fact that we don't just, you know, have this aha moment and say, oh, oh I did, you know, I, I really hurt this person and I need to call them up and tell them because I never really liked them and I never really cared about them and I just used them. You know, and just those kind of things, that's not what this is about. And, you know, in our society and I think in particular compulsive overeaters, we tend to want to do things our way and disregard the directions. And this is, this is serious. You know, we talk about this. We can't skip over the fifth step and jump to step eight and nine. Uh, we have to have gone over this with a recovered sponsor. And through that process, then through prayer, you determine who you're going to make amends to. Because... <laughs> You don't need to tell someone that you never cared about them. That is only going to hurt them. All you have to do is turn the other direction and stop doing that in the future. And, you know, this can sound so scary, but as we have gone over, uh, over and over again, so much of our disease is in our mind, and so much of my behavior and my attitudes were what I was stuffing down and you know, when the light comes out, it's like, did anybody really know <laughs> that I thought that way, that I really didn't like them, and that I really, you know, was, had my selfish motives? It's, this is not to beat ourselves up and to admit fault where there clearly was no way they knew what we were doing. And that is called living amends. Some people you'll see again, and you can, you know, your mother, your sister, your brother, your father, you can treat them differently from this day forward. But you don't have to tell them that you secretly resented the heck out of them and you used them if they have no idea. So, you know, there is just a real um, need to be thorough. Thorough in terms of your honesty with God and another human being. You don't have to be thorough with the entire world if they don't know that you hurt them. If they're, if it's not, Katie, star one to unmute. We lost you. 
Are you back? Okay, well, I think you lost me for a minute, and I'm just going to take that as a sign to shut up, and thank you. With that, I'll pass. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to share? We have time for maybe one more person, one or two quick shares. Lois, can I finish my thought? Yes, Lois. Miriam. Go ahead. Hi, good morning again, everybody. Um, senior moment here. Um, what, I was, what I was trying to express was that, you know, doing, doing my fourth step, you know, and, and I had done it a few times before I was able to do it abstinent and with a sponsor, with a recovered sponsor, that for me, I, I was so willing, you know, to, to find a new way to live that, you know, my life had become so, so crazy and full of static and un, unsatisfied living that when, when the, my, my, this big book showed me a different way of looking at situations and problems I had, I had been responsible for in many ways, in some ways, that, you know, I was willing to look at that and I, I wanted to feel better. In the beginning, that was what I wanted to do. And in doing so, you know, I began to find a way to see where my behavior had, had, um, had produced all of these unhappy relationships in my life, whether they were sexual, whether they were personal, friendships, mother-daughter, father-daughter, father-son, all of these situations. If I was involved in it, then it was a convoluted relationship. I had no clue. I, I had no way of knowing this. I was, I was brought up this way. So when the big book and my sponsor showed me, you know, that how was I responsible? What would I have done differently? I, I felt such hope for the first time in my life that I could, you know, based on working these spiritual principles in all my affairs, whether they were a, with a sexual partner, uh, but to practice these principles in all my affairs, that I could, you know, have a life such as you, you people were sharing with me. And I, I went forward with that, and I still have never lost a desire to find out, you know, where I have been wrong. Have I hurt anybody? I practice these spiritual principles daily in all of my affairs, and for that, I am entirely grateful. It's the most life-changing process that I have experienced, and I just wanted to um, share that rest of that thought. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois, and I'm glad you did. I think that's a great note. We're going to wrap things up here. I'd like to thank everyone who has shared um, and all of our readers, uh, Laura and Sharon and, you know, Fran and Michelle to be ready and on deck and everyone who has shared. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Fran, if you could do that, that would be great. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit 
and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, peace.